I don't know if you've been watching, there have been a lot of fireworks at the UN in New York since Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, Canada's ambassador to the UN addressed the General Assembly today ahead of a vote expected this week to isolate Russia by deploring its, quote, aggression against Ukraine and demanding that Russian troops withdraw. Here's Bob Ray. We as members of the United Nations have the chance to stand up, to stand up in defense of a free people and to rebuke the evil notion that might makes right. And now we must all step up and stand up. Of course, with Russia on the Security Council, difficult to get a sanction through, but that hopefully will happen in the General Assembly. Canada's UN Ambassador to, to UN Ambassador Bob Ray joins me now. Welcome to the show. Thank you for your time. Pleasure. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. It's been, I mean, the UN is a place we picture where this sort of crisis would be discussed and and, and hopefully resolved. Uh, a lot unfolded today. What What is the latest from the UN in terms of uh, negotiations over what's unfolding in Ukraine? Well, the negotiations are happening directly between the Ukrainians and and uh, the Russians, and uh, they they had a meeting in uh, in northern Ukraine. Uh, they uh, uh, agreed to go back to capital. We'll see what uh, what happens as a result of of uh, reporting back. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it was a courageous move, I think, by the by the Ukrainian leader to to uh, ask for direct conversations. I I think everyone recognizes what's at stake. Uh, but the real issue for me is what chance do we have of getting a deal uh, with a Russia that doesn't want to recognize the the autonomy and the independence of uh, of Ukraine? It's uh, it's very difficult. Uh, Mr. Ray, you did mention that and have mentioned that just the chilling aspect of those words when one country negates the existence of another. It's something we've seen in history time and time again. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's 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 like everything else in life, right? If you if you negate the existence of the other, uh, then uh, it's hard to know what kind of a relationship you can have because they're they're not admitting that you're a, an autonomous, independent person. And uh, I think it's very clear that from Mr. Putin's speeches and from what he's had to say, that he's attempting to define. Ukraine out of existence. And, and I think that's what makes it so, as you put it, chilling uh, and also so hard to combat because you say you got to negotiate. Well, it's pretty hard to negotiate with somebody who doesn't recognize you have a right to exist. When the UN was established, I think the idea was that this would be a forum whereby these sorts of international crises could be debated uh, and discussed. Listening to Russia today, again, it seems like there are two completely different stories here, completely different narratives. How do you bridge that gap? Or do you? Well, sometimes it takes time to break it down. Uh, fortunately, right now, because of the, the hotness of the war, we don't have the time. Um, we have to save lives here. We have to try to make sure that more people aren't killed uh, and that uh, we can get back to a discussion rather than a war. But it's tough because the Russians started a war. And obviously they started a war, I think, on the assumption that it, the rest of the world would look the other way or it would happen very quickly. Uh, but I think we, I think Mr. Putin has underestimated the situation. I think he's underestimated the resilience, the resistance of the Ukrainian people and the army. I think he's um, underestimated the seriousness of Europe. Uh, 
in the European countries. Uh, and he's underestimated most of the UN. So you put all these things together, and he's made a terrible miscalculation. And the question is, well, how, how does a person come to terms with that? And I'm, I don't know whether he can or not, or whether the Russian government can or not. Uh, but it's clear that we have to find a different basis for, uh, for a peaceful solution. Have you been surprised by both the speed and the unity that the diplomatic, or at least the diplomatic effort on the part of the West has shown over the last four or five days? It, it seems like things have been much more unified and much more active than we've seen in crises in the past, including Crimea in 2014. Well, I think the key word is the key words are public opinion. I think I think leaders are responding to what they sense is a very powerful feeling among their people. Uh, we've seen demonstrations uh, right across Europe and the United States and Canada, and in many many other parts of the world, including Russia, where um, literally millions of people have come out on the streets. Uh, and this is partly a reflection of the impact of social media. Uh, and it's had an immediate impact on, on galvanizing a public and then, frankly, governments that are frequently catching up with their, uh, with their people. And I, I see this, I think we see it every day. We see it in real time. It's quite extraordinary. And I, I just hope it's enough. I hope it's enough uh, and, and happens quickly enough that we're able to, uh, to save Ukraine. What has the atmosphere been like within the UN itself? Obviously, what we've seen from outside is the exchanges between the Russian ambassador, or particularly the Ukrainian ambassador, the very harsh words that he's had for his Russian counterpart. Uh, what has the atmosphere been like in the UN? Well, I'm told by people who have been around for many years that it's not unusual for <coughs> harsh words to be spoken. I think there's a lot of people who feel that uh, you know, diplomacy is always just uh, completely polite. Uh, my view is it's a time for plain speaking. <clears throat> I think the public that's watching expects us to be comprehensible and plain and direct. I don't think they want us to be tied up in gobbledygook and uh, formalities. I mean, both both individuals um, are very blunt. Um, uh, their speaking styles are different. The Ukrainian ambassador is more is more emotional, uh, more passionate, as, as one would expect and anticipate. Um, the Russian ambassador is more, uh, more speaking from you know, the hard-edged position of the Russian government, but he also knows he, he's, uh, he's, his, the position that he's taking is not one that's popular or, or well-received in the, in the hall, because people... People are people don't boo him as as one would in a political meeting. You know, Russia's playing the part of Voldemort in these discussions. There has been talk from Ukraine, of course, of, of trying to force Russia out of out, out off the Security Council at least, uh, given the optics of the current situation where they're presiding over a council that's essentially condemning them. Yeah, they won't be on. The, they won't be chairing the Security Council past midnight tonight. Right. So that's that issue's moot. Um, but it is, I think, in most circumstances, I don't know, most high school debating clubs, <laughs> somebody who, who's who got a direct interest in something isn't allowed, isn't allowed to chair a meeting. It's sort of like, you know, everybody appreciates that's the, that would be the rule. Somebody should else should take the chair. 
Russians didn't do that. Russians maintained the chair, uh, even though they were um, the aggressor. Um, but that's what they do. They play hardball, and uh, obviously they're playing a very uh, brutal uh, and fit, you know, very, very difficult kind of hardball in, uh, in Ukraine itself. Many people are getting killed as a result of their tactics and as a result of their approaches. I'm back with Canada's ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray. We've been discussing ongoing talks at the UN over the war in Ukraine. Um, Mr. Ray, the, there will be a General Assembly vote. Um, what do you expect to come from that? And, and what kind of message might it send Russia? And how will Russia respond, do you believe? Well, I think we can, we can take the last one for granted. I think Russia will simply, will simply dismiss the vote and say, you people don't understand and you have no understanding of what we're going through. And, and the, you know, for them, for Russia, this is just a, sort of been a, a difficult uh, but not fatal exercise they have to go through all the time with the United Nations. But I think that the, what I think they're underestimating is, is the power of opinion in their own country and the power of opinion and sentiment in, in neighboring countries. Uh, Russia is very isolated. In particular, I would say Mr. Mr. Putin is very isolated. And that isolation will lead to serious challenges for any political leader. When you're doing something that I, I think he underestimated how unpopular this, this would be in his own country, um, and although Russia is effectively a dictatorship, even dictators rely on public opinion. Uh, sometimes they just rely on public indifference. But the reality is, is that a population that's suddenly seeing interest rates go up, doubled up to 20 percent, uh, sees trading relationships disrupted, cost of their food, cost of everything going up dramatically, exponentially, their currency worth nothing. Many companies will shut. They'll be unemployed, be out of work. Uh, th this is a very. This is going to prove to be a very painful crisis for the Russians, and it's not one they can quickly overcome. So, I, I think this will directly impact the popularity of Mr. Putin. I, I believe that, and I, I think that's that's something that everybody should keep their eye on as we, as we go forward. So, what the Russian government says frankly, is less important than what the Russian people decide to do as a result of the, the price of the isolation that is being forced on them by the conduct of their own leader. We are seeing some pretty astounding and, and horrific numbers, to be frank, about people already fleeing. Um, this is clearly a, already a humanitarian catastrophe. How, what have you been hearing and how, does, how prepared are we to try to absorb what's happening in Ukraine right now. So when this happened, when the physical invasion happened, you've got all all of the uh, move to to for all of the incentive for people to just get the hell out of Dodge, and that's exactly what what right now the calculation is about half a million people, and even that number goes up 100, 200,000 a day, and they're they're planning on four million people. So this is going to be a dramatic transformation of the humanitarian situation in in Ukraine, in some ways bigger than, as far as Europe is concerned, bigger than bigger than Syria, because many of the refugees were absorbed, the Syrian refugees were absorbed in Turkey. But this is going to be a huge exodus and a, and a huge movement of people across across Europe uh, and around the world. So it's um, it's. 
it's 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 devastating. You've said a few times that this isn't just about Ukraine, that there's a lot more at stake here diplomatically, geopolitically. How serious, if this is to continue and Russia is to continue on with its invasion and its war, you feel like that you've said that this sends messages around the world to other countries who may be feeling, who may be looking at other pieces of territory they would like the same way, that there needs to be a clear message to Russia here. Well, I, I think this is a key thing, is that if a, if a big power can, or any power can get away with this and say, you know, we did it, so what are you going to do about it? And if the answer from the world is, well, not very much, then uh, it does create huge problems, huge sources of instability for, uh, for the rest of the world. Uh, the Singapore ambassador today said, you know, look, we're an island state right next to, to, a, to a big country, Malaysia, uh, that we're not a member of, uh, we're not part of, and we're next door to Indonesia. If those countries, and I'm not saying they're thinking about it, but those countries said, hey, why don't we just take over Singapore? Well, that would create a, a, a huge chaotic situation. So we need to understand what's at stake for, uh, and particularly in a world where borders and boundaries sometimes have historical origins that don't may not in today's world make a lot of sense. And, and countries might say, well, if, if they can get away with just doing it this way, why wouldn't we do the same thing? Um, but what's, I think, to start out, to go back to where we started, what's most troublesome about this is that it starts from a from a conversation, a narrative, if you like, from President Putin, which is really a narrative of a declaration of non-existence. Uh, he said that you know the state is artificial, the Ukrainian people and the Russian people are the same, and this is the language of the abuser. And and when that happens, it it becomes very difficult to know. Uh, how to find safety except to flee. And that's what many, many Ukrainians are doing. About a tenth, you know, by the calculation from the UNHCR today, about 10% of the population of Ukraine is is going to be on the road, which is quite extraordinary. We've seen some pretty, again, some pretty um, unfamiliar rhetoric from Vladimir Putin about nuclear weapons. Um where does this where does this go from here in the short term? Do you think? Allah, as we say, it'll go nowhere because I mean it's a terrible threat to make. Uh, it's clearly irrational. Uh, there was a rationality to uh, the declaration by the five by five of the nuclear powers in January, where they all agreed, including Russia, uh, including China. They all agreed that. Nobody's going to win a nuclear war, so we're committed to, to not using what we have. We're committed to not using it. And, and uh, to go from that to a point of, of uh, giving orders to your army to be on nuclear alert is, I think, a profoundly irrational moment for Vladimir Putin and for his, his government. And... Uh, I think the point for the rest of us is don't be intimidated by that. Don't be, don't be scared off doing what needs to be done. But it also means that we have to share with the Russian people a sense that this is a road to madness. If a people, somebody like Vladimir Putin, the president of a permanent member of the United Nations and, and a nuclear power, um, because he's not happy with somebody, says, well, I'm going I'm to put, put everybody on nuclear alert. And then just see what happens. I mean, it's this is this is 
lawlessness of the worst kind. And I, I, think, I do feel that most members of the United Nations understand that and will not, will not put up with it. Bob Ray, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Ben. Appreciate it. Thank you.